Hello and welcome to the British Chambers podcast channel. We're delighted to bring you a second season of in-depth discussions and conversations with our members and high-profile speakers, ranging from topics like trade, fintech, arts, sports, and more within Singapore, ASEAN, and the UK. Thank you for your support, and we hope you enjoy today's podcast. Hello and welcome along to the British Chamber of Commerce. Singapore podcast. We are so delighted that you're with us. My name is Helen Maguire and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Diversely, which is a platform that helps businesses attract more diverse talent through AI-driven tools and DNI analytics. We're bringing this podcast to you from the Diversity and Inclusion Committee at the British Chamber of Commerce, within which I play a very small part. And the series looks at how DNI is being implemented in businesses within the region from a very practical perspective. My guest for our third episode in this series is Shell's Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer, Lynn Lee. Lynn is something of a powerhouse when it comes to people and policy. She not only leads Shell's aspiration to become one of the most diverse and inclusive organisations in the world, she also, in what little spare time she has, represents the business globally at platforms like the Business Disability Forum, the Valuable 500, Purple Space, Community Business, Catalyst, and Workplace Pride, which is a pretty impressive lineup. Lynn is based in Singapore, and she's going to be talking to us a little bit more about why she's so passionate about her role, as well as the reasoning behind Shell's support for World Mental Health Day. Lynn, welcome along. Thank you so much for being part of this podcast. We are really delighted to have you along. Hi, Helen. Good afternoon. And it's um, also a delight for me to be part of this podcast. So I'm happy to have this chat. Excellent, me too. So I wanted to just kick off um, with a little bit about you, really. Obviously, you have quite a fascinating background. Um, so how did you come to be in this role and, and, and what does it entail for you? Okay, so you may not believe this, but it has been a series of uh, incidents and coincidences. Yeah, so I hadn't planned. Um, I guess unlike, you know, people who want to be a doctor, a teacher or engineer, you know, when they go like, I want to be a doctor when I grow up. Yeah. So this wasn't in my plan when I was five. <laughs> 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 so I think I kind of um, accidentally got where to, got, got to where I am. Um, but, but there were some, if I look back now, um, I think there were, were, there were some hints, you know, that this would be my passion. So um, early career, so it would be one of my earliest jobs when I was working actually in the Michigan government, in the US government, I was actually the affirmative action officer in Michigan state. Uh, and the young person that I was then had not realized that, you know, this could possibly become something important in my life. So that was one. And I have a psychology background. So um, a postgraduate in psychology, had always wanted to be in clinical psychology, but then you decided that uh, organization behavior was actually a lot more interesting yeah, and, and a lot more opportunities in terms of things that I could do, right, and, and with different companies. So I found myself in that um, as well, early career in terms of organization behavior, um, organization change, um, uh, you know, motivation, uh, assessment, those types of things. And I, I think, again, you know, in that space, I had the opportunity to see um, research as well as, um, I guess, results from work that we were doing with clients on um, equity and maybe inequality. 
So, so those types of things stayed with me. And then obviously I was very fortunate to join Shell um, after I had my second child. So I took a bit of a sabbatical and then I joined Shell. Actually, funnily enough, for work-life balance. Yeah, but I think I was uh, misunderstood, you know, when I read the job description. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I, I joined Shell at that point in time uh, in the early 2000s when uh, we were really quite big into DNI. Yeah, yeah, so we were talking about inclusion. We uh, were very focused in terms of gender diversity uh, as well as cultural diversity and inclusion. So that was the point in time which I joined and I think that really had a big impact in terms of how I saw the company uh, as well as uh, how I interacted with my colleagues. Um, and then you wind the clock you know, closer to where I am today. Um, I had also the privilege to take on the job of uh, VPHR for uh, Shell Business Operations, uh, which is really the backbone of, of Shell. Yeah, so it's anything from customer operations to HR, to finance, to IT, huge, huge operations. And I was um, involved in a lot of um, uh, recruitment uh, and across the you know, seven locations that, uh, that we had before, you know, now we have five. Um, uh, it was basically you know, lots of young people joining Shell across the world. We had across the world, you know, at least uh, 30 to 50 different types of, you know, cultural backgrounds, uh, people coming together. And it was such fertile ground for all of my diversity and inclusion practices, you know, things like that. <laughs> yeah, and it was so fun. It was so fun. Yeah, but again, I hadn't thought of it as DNI, um, but I think colleagues noticed. So when this role was open uh, three years ago, I was asked if I would like to take on this job. Um, I have to admit, I had to think hard about uh, what it meant to, to take on a job like this, right? And, and what was my purpose? But I took the plunge and three years later, that's where I am today. What an impressive story. And it sounds very much like lots of different threads of things coming together um, to make this work. I, I'd love to dig in a little bit more um, on another podcast, perhaps about your return from maternity leave into Shell, um, because that sounds quite like quite a fascinating journey. But um, for now, you know, I just want to talk a little bit more about um, how you started this from scratch, because as you rightly said, back in kind of the early 2000s, the term DNI really didn't exist. You know, it's something of a catch-all phrase right now, certainly. But um, even five years ago, it, it really wasn't. So, where did you start, and 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 what progress do you feel Shell has made over that time? Mm -hmm. Well, so as Shell as a company, we have been on the DNI journey for about twenty years. Yeah, so. Um, we, we have actually a long uh, heritage around diversity uh, and inclusion. So just a little bit of a factoid. Um, uh, if, if we look back to where Shell was, so we're about, um, you know, more than a decade old, you know, in terms of, mm. uh, you know, our company. And if you look back to the early 1900s, at that mm. point in time, uh, in the UK, for example, uh, women were not allowed to vote. Yeah, but yet we had uh, posters that had, uh, you know, women actually standing on podium saying votes for women. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and it was, it was actually much more around Shell voting for women to be part of the community and part of 
you know, this, this were actually all advertisements around cars and, you know, retail. Yeah, so it was really nice to see. And then you also then had um, posters with women driving. Again, this is the 1900s and it wasn't yeah. common for women to drive. Yeah, so if you look at it from that perspective, um, I think we've always been um, visionary, you know, from that point of view of wanting to include, uh, um, you know, I guess underrepresented groups yeah, into the mm. company. But I would say that, um, again, there are moments in time in Shell's history. So if I look at the past 20 years, the first 10 years was really around pushing hard on gender progress. Yeah, so we, we went from, um, uh, I think about, um, you know, early 1990s, around that point in time, 97, yeah, about there, to, you know, early 2000s, uh, where we were at single digits for senior women in Shell. Yeah, so mm -hmm. I think in today's terms, if you look at 4%, <laughs> you know, of senior women in Shell, you go like, oh my gosh, you know, how is that possible, <laughs> right? Yeah, so I think where we are today, um, we are more than 30% for the top 1400s, uh, top 1,400 uh, leaders in Shell. Yeah. And if you look at our graduate recruits, we're about parity. Yeah, and our board of directors are at parity as well. So we're gender balanced there. And of course, there are many gaps, right? So it's not uh, it's not a journey that we have you know finished. Yeah, you know, there's still lots to do, yeah. especially in technical types of roles. Um, I think in in certain parts of the world as well. Yeah, you know, there's still lots of work to do, and I think in certain levels as well. Uh, so if I look at the two three levels below uh, the board, uh, there's lots of opportunities. You know, for us to do yeah. much better. Yeah. So that's on the gender space. And if I look at maybe five years in, yeah, um, you know, from a couple of years before I started this role and to now, we have broadened our agenda. So, mm -hmm. so the gender topic is almost a table stake. Yeah. So yeah. if any company, including Shell, does not have gender in terms of its BNI plans, then you're not talking BNI at all, right? So that's table mm -hmm. stakes. Uh, and table stakes means getting to parity. But we've also started looking at, um, you know, a more diverse agenda in terms of BNI, and I think it reflects as well um, uh, where where we are in Shell in terms of where we operate. So we operate in about eighty plus countries, and across the world we are about eighty thousand people. Uh, we serve, you know, again uh, large numbers of customers and. You know, this is also then the reflection of where we operate and the communities in which we live, work, and draw talent from. Yeah, so, so where we've got to is actually then gender as the main topic, but also then um, topics around people with disabilities, um, LGBT, as well as um, race, ethnicity. Uh, and these yeah. are the ones that we've identified because those are the ones with huge gaps that we have to close. But then I want to qualify this because I always get asked this question to say, well, if you just focus on these four areas, then what about me? Because I'm not in any of those areas. Does it mean that I'm not? <laughs> right? I always get asked that question, right? So you have to focus. But so, so this is how this is how I've thought hard about this. So it is about representation because uh, when you have 
a term that says underrepresentation, it means that there's a group of people who are not heard in the organization. But then, you know, for us to be able to be all productive and working mm -hmm. together, you need inclusion, you know, which means that it's the intersection of everyone and everything. And it is about no one feeling like, like you know, they're being replaced, yeah, or that the DNI efforts is at the expense of someone else. Yeah, so it's, it sounds really complicated and it sounds almost impossible. Yeah, yeah but I think it's, it's an art, it's not a science. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. And I, and I think there is always that question around, you know, if I don't fit into these underrepresented groups in inverted commas, then then where do I fit in? And, and as you rightly say, the point is that everybody fits in, you know, everybody um, has a place there um, and doesn't have to be in a particular box in order to, to get a space at the table, let's say. Um, which is very positive, very positive movement forward. Um, yeah, super impressive. And I think what I would love to hear a little bit more about is how have you gone about um, this? So, so what are the strategies and policies that you've put in place to ensure that you're improving? Um, because it's all very well to have the intention, but without the buy-in from you know, up and down the chain from both senior management and, of course, from your employees, nothing's really going to change. So are there a couple of examples you could give us um, in terms of where improvement has been has been made and been successful? Yes. Well, um, again, I want to qualify that um, all of this takes many people and everyone together. So I, I always see myself as the one that is perhaps steering the ship yeah, and kind of guiding uh, but all of the successes or all of the things that we're still working on relies and depends on everybody. Uh, but some of the things that we've done and um, we, we've kind of moved and shifted, as I've said, and a lot of the things that we do now, um, uh, the DNI space is actually part of our business strategy. So uh, this year, for example, uh, we've refreshed our strategy to align as well to um, uh, you know, Shell's uh, reorganization and energy transition. Um, and what we see as well is that um, DNI, uh, which we call powering lives, uh, is really about powering lives. Yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, diversity in all its forms uh, is, is the right thing to do. But it's also then, uh, from a business point of view, yeah. um, a smart thing to do, right? Because uh, what we want are uh, uh, talent, you know, people uh, from all walks of life who actually can provide that innovation and creation in terms of their thinking and their contributions. That's one. Um, so, so we thought about this to say, why would we come up with something that goes, uh, Shell aspires to be one of the most diverse and inclusive organizations in the world, right? Because it feels like we'll shoot ourselves in the foot, but it is an aspiration. <laughs> Yeah, it's an aspiration. So some of our commitments um, uh, around gender uh, parity, as I said, so we have some really specific targets, you know, short term and long term. Mm -hmm. um, by end of this year, uh, we do want to make sure that we get to 30%. Um, and I'm pretty confident that we will. And we have then five year targets, you know, from then uh, 2030 to uh, 2020 to 2025. Yeah, we'll we'll get to um, uh, thirty yeah, percent, yeah, and then the 2030 to get to forty percent, and then parity, yeah. But the trick again, yeah, there's there's a lot of art to this, right? The trick is not to just get to fifty percent and then roll backwards, 
the trick yeah. is to sustain it. Yeah, so so I think it's really around building the culture where people care about this, not because there's a target set. Mm. Mm. And, uh, um, I think for the rest of it, let me just go one by one and then, you know, just mm. be happy for you to explore some of these. So on the topic of people with disabilities, um, two years ago, it used to be a really difficult topic to, to dissect because it's broad, right? Um, mm. The way that we frame disabilities is really from human performance. Yeah, so the human at the center of uh, our enablement journey. Yeah, and, and if we look at it that way, and we look at the spectrum of disabilities from physical to uh, mental, then any of us can move back and forth in terms of that spectrum. Yeah, because most of the time disabilities uh, is acquired. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it can be any time, it can be temporary. So I think because of the pandemic, you know, this has really become a lived experience. Yeah. It's become very important in terms of how we address this uh, in the support that we provide, uh, but also then in terms of the social environment, the psychological safety that we provide to our staff. Yeah, so, so those, those types of commitments are not tangible. Yeah, but it is about how people feel yeah, and, and whether they feel supported and whether they, they feel that they can ask for help, yeah, when they yeah. need yeah. yeah, absolutely. So so this is where obviously the inclusion part of diversity and inclusion comes in. And, and it, it was a question I wanted to ask you earlier, if you don't mind me kind of interrupting your flow slightly yeah. here. Um, yeah. In terms of what, what does that culture feel like? I mean, for those of us who've never worked at Shell, have never worked in Shell office or, you know, obviously remotely, um, for, for a large part right now. What does that feel like as a Shell employee? You know, do you get a sense of that from, um, from your position, let's say? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I get, um, so, so I'll speak from my experience, yeah, and my mm. I get um, quite a number of emails from Shell staff from across the world uh, on many topics on D&I. Yeah, so it could yeah. be anything around, well, um, uh, I really appreciated what you said in the webcast, right? And <laughs> I knew that that was important to actually sharing quite deep experience about, um, you know, perhaps their mental health state or, you know, sometimes experience around improvements in terms of workplace assess accessibility. So we, we have this um, accessibility support that we provide to all of our countries, right? 83 plus countries. Uh, and it's a trust-based system. Uh, where people can go in and just get accommodation on office equipment, you know, software, um, table, furniture, yeah, or, or even, you know, things that requires uh, uh, adjustments around the office. So I, I, yeah. I, as well, I get feedback, you know, from our staff around, uh, you know, this is a place for improvement and this was well done. Um, so I've had many, many also, you know, good conversations because people are just, um, want to talk to me. So I think I take, I take from that, that um, um, people feel safe, you know, that they can actually reach out to me and give feedback. I actually appreciate that because if they don't feel safe, they're not going to be telling me that things need to be improved. Yeah. And yeah. many, many times, um, I have to say quite a few times I've been in tears, right, with colleagues calling me and we have that chat around uh, what's happened to them and their lived experience. Some of them are wonderful stories. Some of them are not so wonderful, mm -hmm. right? 
So, so I, I think it's a, a whole range, but I see this as, again, part of inclusion. Um, what, what we want is for people to feel like um, they can turn around to someone and say it, right? And that they can also um, say it as it is, right? To be honest, transparent, authentic. Um, but the one thing I want to highlight as well, which is important for everyone that's listening in, uh, it is not always a beautiful story. Uh, there is still a lot of micro inequities and many people still feel like they're subject, you know, subject to harassment, biasness, uh, the whole range. Um, one thing I want to leave behind for everyone is do not suffer alone. Do not feel like you're the only one who's going through this. Many, many times if you speak up about this or if you ask for help, you will be surprised you are not the only one. Yeah, and, and I think that's what I've learned from doing this job, actually. I can see that that's such a huge passion, you know, when you speak about it, obviously people listening at home can't see Lynn on their screens, but I have the benefit of doing that. And you can really see the, the passion behind what you're saying. And I think, you know, um, everyone has to have a reason to get out of bed and, you know, hit, hit their desk in the morning. And I'm guessing this is probably yours. <laughs> I think I found my purpose, yes. <laughs> I can't imagine yeah. doing anything else now. Yeah, so <laughs> there you go. Yeah, no, I, I, I sense that completely. Um, and I just wanted to, to quickly touch on um, the, the LGBTQ aspect of, of your role as well. You know, as you've mentioned a couple of times, geographically speaking, there are obviously um, different sensitivities and um, approaches where, where DNI is concerned and obviously LGBTQ is, is one of them and I know when we spoke previously um, you, you have a strategy around this right? Yes we do. Um, again I, I always tell my colleagues that I'm always on a learning journey so I'll be really happy to admit on this podcast as well that when I took on this job uh, three years ago one of the areas in which I had very little knowledge yeah, and had very limited language around was the LGBT space. Yeah, so um, I felt quite vulnerable, you know, to maybe just say something and perhaps offend someone. Mm -hmm. yeah, so it was, it was really with that approach to say, oh, wow, you know, there's just so much to learn. Um, and then uh, in this space, again, before I talk about uh, legislations and, you know, mm. uh, social norms, etc. The first thing to know is that uh, I found out that many people feared saying the wrong thing and therefore they did right. not say anything. <laughs> yeah, and um, so, so I found that out and um, I asked for help from my LGBT colleagues to say, uh, can you mentor me in terms of just telling me when I'm not saying things correctly because I don't mean it. And so it would be really helpful if you could tell me what, what to do and what to say. Um, so I, I formed that allyship, right? And um, what I realized was that uh, that is also being an ally to, to admit that you don't know everything and to want to learn. The other thing I learned about um, the LGBT space and, and my LGBT colleagues is that uh, the small signals actually mean a lot. So I hadn't realized when I was given a rainbow lanyard to wear. Yeah? And sometimes I wear it and sometimes I, you know, I wouldn't. But I had someone tell me one time that it meant so much for them to see leaders wearing the lanyard because it shows that uh, these are allies and these are people that they could reach out to. And that really changed my perspective in terms of how I did this job, right? So um, 
the, the, the one thing which we talk about in Shell is that uh, when we talk about LGBT inclusion, it's less about where it's um, legislated or where it is not allowed, but it's a, really just about inclusive behaviors. It is about ensuring that, again, you know, going back to the point that I made before, ensuring that people feel safe and that they're able to come out to be themselves. One of the other things um, um, which has instructed the work that I've done is the fact that you have about um, conservatively about 17% um, of uh, LGBT uh, people, you know, who would not be able to come out in the organization. And I've heard many of those stories too. So, so we take a really practical approach in terms of um, LGBT inclusion and our LGBT work. Um, and, and we're instructed based on research. So we actually define it based on uh, the maturity, whether you are in a country, which is what we call when in Rome, yeah, which means that there are rules against uh, sexual orientation and anything mm -hmm. around that. Uh, and it's important to, to abide by the laws of the land, right? So that's when in Rome. And then you have embassy, where perhaps it's much more around social norms. Uh, and, and that's the place where you can actually start to create a bit more conversations internally. So a lot of this work is all about making sure that our staff feel safe, right? That we're, we're not yeah. about trying to advocate this uh, for societal change uh, in, in places where it's not allowed, but it's much more around psychological safety. Now, of course, there's the last group in terms of maturity, that's advocacy. And in those places like Netherlands and US and UK, mm. expectations is that you fly your flag proud, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, and that, you know, you are the allies for everyone else. So we've been on this journey and um, I'm quite proud that um, uh, two years ago, my colleagues in Singapore, so credit to all of my colleagues in Singapore and the leadership in Singapore, uh, supported the start of uh, LGBT network which is two years old uh, and it's supported by uh, local leaders. I'm really, really proud of them. So Lynn, I know that World Mental Health Day is a super important calendar event for Shell. And can you tell us a little bit more about how you're marking uh, the day and of course the whole week itself? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I, I think Perhaps uh, before I talk about that, just a reflection on mental health as a topic in Shell and how uh, the organization is embracing this. Yeah, um, And we've, we've come on a long journey. And I think at least in the past 18 months, uh, this has been a shared experience. So one of the things uh, which is very important uh, and which we talk about a lot in, in Shell, in all meetings actually, is about self-care. Yeah, so um, everyone feeling empowered and having the ability to actually uh, make self-care as the top priority in the same way that Shell talks about safety. So we want people to feel like um, they are in, in an environment in which they can call time out if they need that. So for this year, uh, for World Mental Health Day, which is a big event, I think not just in Shell, but for, for many people now across the world, uh, we're marking this with, um, uh, you know, focusing a, a bit more in terms of optimism and mindfulness. Yeah, uh, and I think the reason behind this is that um, being mindful in terms of what it is that we do 
actually creates a lot more energy and motivation. Uh, and again, it supports self-care as what I've mentioned. Yeah, so, so that's one topic in which we'll want for people to explore uh, and to, again, take time out to stand down and use this as an opportunity to think about uh, what is important for them. So mindfulness. And I think to support that as well, optimism. Yeah, and, and how this actually helps to improve productivity and motivation. Uh, and again, going back to the pandemic, I don't have to say too much about this, but it has been quite a roller coaster ride. Yeah, and with ups and downs. And I think it's also the chance to kind of reimagine uh, what it is, right? And, and what, what uh, people's hopes and what the future brings. Yeah, so, so this would be our focus. And I hope it will um, you know, provide a lot of opportunities for people to kind of uh, recraft and reimagine what it is that they want to bring forward with them. I think that's really wonderful. And I have to say, just listening to you talk about that has probably brought my heart rate down um, and, and made me feel quite relaxed. So yeah, I think, I think you, <laughs> you should be very <laughs> proud of everything that you're trying to achieve at Shell. Um, obviously, Marking World Mental Health Day is incredibly important. I know we spoke um, previously that you see this as something of a, a unifying experience, particularly in the last year to 18 months, as you mentioned um, just now, it's something that everybody has been more mindful about. So to mark it is super important. Um, so congratulations on everything that you've achieved in your own career, certainly, and also at Shell. And, and thank you so much for being so transparent and sharing all these lessons with us. Thank you, Helen. <laughs> thank you, Lynn. And uh, that will be all from us and from Shell for this episode of the podcast. You can, of course, find these podcasts anywhere you would normally find podcasts. And we would love it if you could leave a quick review or a rating for us. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to our podcast and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, don't forget to subscribe and rate our channel on Spotify, Apple, Google and all other podcast platforms. For more information about the Chamber, please visit www.britcham.org.sg.